Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Good morning again. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the title of our uh, today's topic is uh, Seals and Trumpets. And uh, if you think that sounds like a new circus act for the Vinduk show, it's the other kind of seals, okay? So, uh, yeah. Seals as in seals of letters. There we go. <laughs> uh, before we start, um, uh, maybe some are here who uh, didn't pick up from uh, last week. We're doing a, a four-week series on uh, major parts of Revelation, and uh, today is the second week. Uh, but just just a reminder of the, the the kind of literature we're trying to deal with, and uh, and the challenge that it presents to us. Um, we've called Revelation uh, the kind of literature. The Revelation is is apocalyptic, <clears throat> and and last week we saw how uh, some of the Old Testament and Revelation uh, belongs to this genre, and and the and the wrong way to take it is to is to take it literally. And uh, we, have to, we have to interpret it figuratively. So yes, most of the time we can say the Bible says, and away we go. But with apocalyptic, we can't really say that. So <clears throat> I'd like to kick off with uh, Revelation chapter 12. Um, we won't do this like a, a big preach. This is a, just a reminder uh, of what uh, uh, we were talking about before Christmas. Um, but I, and I think I just want to show you, for those of you who haven't uh, encountered the the, this, this literature uh, before, maybe we were away last week. <clears throat> just just a, uh, uh, a sort of a, a summary, a brief summary of, of how it works. So we're going to look at Revelation chapter 12 and verses 1 to 6. I'm not going to preach, I'm just going to go through it. <clears throat> uh, and it says this, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. So as a general rule, uh, you interpret figuratively, and this is quite uh, helpful. Uh, the, the woman is not a woman. Uh, the dragon is not a dragon. The stars are not stars. Uh, the male child is a male child. That's good. Uh, the desert is not a desert, and the 1,260 days are not 1,260 days. So it's clear, isn't it? It's obvious. Yeah. Okay. So the, the woman is not a woman. She, she represents the nation of Israel, God's people. Uh, that's why she has a crown of 12 stars on her head, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, she's pregnant. She's going to give birth. The, the Messiah will come from uh, God's people. And there's about 2,000 years between Abraham, <coughs> excuse me, Abraham and the birth of Christ. So this poor woman is pregnant for 2,000 years. Yeah, nine months is bad enough, but can you imagine 2,000 years? 
and, and she's crying out in pain. And as you, the Old Testament, in, in a sense, is a crying out of pain of God's people. Uh, Satan does not want the Messiah to be born. He, if he can destroy Israel, then the Messiah won't come. And you'll know from your Old Testament, and we'll see it again today, 10 of the 12 tribes were utterly destroyed. There were actually only three left. There are 13 tribes of Israel. You knew that? You knew that there were 13 tribes? Yes, good, good. Uh, so 10 were lost and are still lost, and there are only three left. And so, so Satan nearly won. Even those three nations were taken into exile in Babylon, and, and they were nearly lost. It, it, it was that close. But God restored those three nations back to uh, Jerusalem. The son was born. And of course, you know, uh, when Herod, King Herod heard about the birth of the king of the Jews, he, he killed all the boys in Bethlehem and in Judea. And, and there, there was the dragon waiting to devour the child as soon he, as he was born. So the dragon is not a dragon. The dragon is Satan. And, and when Satan was thrown out of heaven, uh, I think what, we, what theologians talk about is that God gave the angels a choice. Are they going to follow Satan out of heaven or are they going to stay with God in heaven? And, and this, from these verses, we can imagine that one third of the angels decided to follow Satan out of heaven down to earth. So that's today's demons. So uh, one third of all the angels fell with Satan. That's extraordinary. The child was snatched up to God and the throne. No mention of the cross here because the passage is focusing on God's glory, God's authority, God's rule, uh, God's victory in, in a sense. And while the cross is a victory, um, the, 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 the thread of the passage is to show us how, how God's plan uh, comes to fulfillment and, and how God's plan is utterly safe. So the, the child was snatched up to God and to his throne. We've skipped from the from the birth to the ascension, <laughs> um, and Jesus is now ruling the universe from the throne. The woman was fled into the desert. The desert is not a desert. The desert is a place of peace and meditation and safety. Uh, we said before Christmas, if you're looking forward to getting out of winter for Christmas, where do you go? You go to the desert, go to the bush, get some peace and quiet, get out of town, and go and meditate in, in the desert. And it's the same for this woman. Uh, she has a place of safety to go to. God's people will be kept safe uh, for this duration of time, 1,260 days. We won't talk about that this week. We'll talk about that next week. Okay, But it's also not 1,260 days. It means something else. So that's how we interpret Revelation. You, you read it and you wonder what the heck is going on, but, but, but the secret is not to interpret as it says, you have to find the figurative uh, meaning for all of that. So let's come over to Revelation chapter 5, and we'll just kick off today's talk. Uh, we'll look at the first six verses, and, and again, we'll try and interpret these things in the same way, figuratively. Uh, so John saw this, saw this, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Seven is the divine number, the holy number. And I saw a mighty angel <clears throat> proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, the 24 around the throne, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has 
triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. <clears throat> then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, which he has sent out into the world. And so here is a picture of Jesus uh, with these seven, the seven sevenfold spirit of God. Uh, that's just a, a picture of the Holy Spirit. And of course, seven is, is the divine number. But look at this picture of Jesus the, in verse 6, that I saw a lamb uh, looking as if it had been slain. And we saw from uh, Revelation 12 that the child, was, or the woman, was snatched up to heaven, seated in glory, but he still bears the scars of his death. Isn't that incredible? Uh, Jesus is rose victorious from the grave, ascended into heaven, ruling the universe, but he still has the marks in his hands and his feet uh, and in his side. Isn't that incredible? Have you ever thought about that before? And that, makes, that made me thought about this little verse in 1 Corinthians 11, which is all about uh, administering and, and, and receiving and celebrating the Lord's Supper. And uh, towards the end of that, uh, Paul says in verse 26, uh, just a, a reminder about the Lord's Supper. Uh, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And on the face of it, until he comes just means just keep on doing it. You know, keep on doing this until he comes back. So in other words, keep on celebrating the Lord's Supper for the, for the whole time you're on earth. Don't stop. The church must keep on celebrating it to remind itself of the death of Christ. That's that's the obvious meaning. But then I began to think a little bit more about it, and there's a little bit of a deeper meaning, I think. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then I began to think, well, why should it stop? It sounds like it should stop when he comes, doesn't it? Celebrating the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine, is something that we do until he comes, and then when he's come, we can stop with the bread and wine. Why is that? Well, Revelation 5, 6 tells us why. When John saw the lamb on the throne, the lamb was looking as if it had been slain. We, we don't need bread and wine in heaven. There you go. Woohoo. We, we don't need bread and wine in heaven to remind us of the sacrifice of Christ because he'll, we will see him on the throne with the marks in his hands and his feet and the, and the, and the hole in the side. Amazing. Yeah. So I, that's, a, that's a deeper meaning of that verse 26. Remember, remember uh, doubting Thomas in, in John chapter 20? Uh, he, he'd missed the resurrection appearance of, of Jesus, and uh, he'd actually said to the other disciples, unless I put my finger in his hands and side, I'm not going to believe it. And then uh, Jesus said this, John 20 verse uh, 27, then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And, and seeing the wounds in Jesus' body convinced Thomas. He needed no more convincing. And, and this is the same Jesus who is sitting on the throne of heaven, still bearing those marks uh, in, his, in his body. So, fantastic. Just have a little thought about, about that. The, the lamb is still looking as if it had been slain. So forever in heaven, we won't need bread and wine to remind us of the death of Christ. He has still got those marks in his body, uh, even as he sits in triumph uh, in heaven. 
So let's get on to uh, these uh, seals and trumpets and uh, also bowls. Um, we're, you'll be happy to know we're not going to read all of this stuff, okay? It is quite difficult reading. It's hard going. It's, it's death and punishment and suffering and terrible stuff going on. Uh, so have a cup of coffee with you or two cups of coffee with you as you plow through these verses. We won't read them this morning. But please go and use this guide and see if I've made a mistake and uh, check, check all the information. Um, there, it's actually a, a large part of the whole book uh, are these three series, okay? So uh, the seals, the scroll that Jesus was able to open, uh, as he opened each of the seven seals, that's Revelations chapter 6, 7, and 8. Um, <clears throat> later on, there are trumpets, uh, that's chapters uh, 8 up to 11, <clears throat> excuse me, and then uh, the final seven bowls are in Revelation chapter 16. That's an awful lot of chapters, and a lot of Revelation is, is focusing on these three sets of seven events. And it, it is quite hard going, uh, but I thought, this is a, a free bonus extra Bible reference, so uh, sorry, it's not, on your, it's not on the overhead or on your sheet. Um, but I just thought, let's get some words of wisdom from Jesus himself about these terrible events at the end of the age. So if you've got your Bible, have a look at Matthew 24, uh, verses 4 to 8. Uh, if you haven't, just listen. <laughs> Matthew 24, uh, 4, verses 4 to 8. As we begin to look into these uh, events at the end of the age, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumor of wars, rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be family, uh, sorry, there will be famines, families as well. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places uh, and even plagues and coronavirus. But verse 8, all these are the beginning of birth pains, okay? So as we look around the world, all these things are happening, and if you've done a history O-level or IGCSE, you'll know that these things have always been happening. Uh, and, and Jesus is, is just get, reminding us to be wise, okay? These things are not necessarily the signs of the end times. Uh, these are the beginning of the birth pangs. Uh, theologians talk about we're in the last days. Yes, we are in the last days, but, but the last days began at Pentecost, okay? The, the last days began 2,000 years ago, and we are still in the last days. Uh, but these things, the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, they really are the end-time events, okay? They, these 21 things are not the beginnings of the birth pangs, this is a sign that the waters have broken and, and the, birth, the baby's coming. The birth is going to happen, okay? So the things that we're, we're reading about, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, these are the actual end time events. And all the other disturbances throughout history are, are just the, the signs and the, and the shadows, the, the, the preparations for the things to come. So I hope that little chart is useful there. I've just gone through each of the seven events, uh, and just given a little title there, you can read them for yourself. Um, uh, you'll see there's a very similar pattern, the seals and the trumpets. 
There's an interlude between the sixth and the seventh. Uh, in the seven seal story, there's the interlude of the 144,000, which we'll look at later. And in the seven trumpets, there's an interlude of the two uh, witnesses. So the seals and the trumpets follow a very similar pattern, even if their details are, are a little bit different. Um, but then have a look at the seven bowls. Uh, the seven bowls are again, are a little bit different, uh, but uh, with the second and third bowl and trumpet, they're actually the same signs, okay? So I've, got, I've underlined them. The mountain turns the sea to blood, that's both the, seven, the second trumpet and the second bowl. And the third trumpet and the third bowl is the blazing star turning rivers to blood. So uh, there, there's, there seems to be similarities and, and links between these uh, three sets of sevens. Now, um, the thing is, what are we going to do with this? How are we going to understand all this? Last week, we talked about these schools of interpretation of Revelation. And one of them was the historicist. Okay? The histor if you're a historicist, you look at these 21 events, and uh, if you're a historicist, you've got to say these are 21 separate events all happening in order one after the other. Does that make sense? Okay. The historicist says that Revelation is telling us everything that's going to happen, and it's all written in chronological order, and you know, very much following the, the timetable through. Uh, so the historicist says here we have 21 separate disasters, if you like, uh, all happening uh, one after the other uh, as we get to the end times. Now, not everyone is a historicist, um, and uh, I think an easier way to understand these 21 things, these three sets of seven, is to think of them as one, one set of seven, okay? It's an easier way to think of it. There's one set of seven, but the, it's being looked at from three different directions. Does that make sense? So this isn't actually 21 things. This is actually seven things, okay? Uh, but they are being looked at differently. And I know there are differences. Of course there are. We, we're talking figurative language here. Um, but you, you can see some of the similarities and some of the differences between some of the events going on. Um, think of the cherubim that we looked at last week. Okay, remember in Ezekiel, uh, each cherubim, each cherub had four faces. Okay, the, the lion and the ox and the man and the eagle. And when John saw them, it wasn't, he didn't see each cherub with four faces. He saw four different cherubs with one face. So one of them had the face of a man, one of them had the face of an eagle. You get the idea? And then as Hillary said when we got home and had another cup of coffee, she said, do you know what? They may not be different. It may be that just when John saw them, he just saw they just had each face turned towards him. So the cherubim in Revelation did have four faces each, but when John saw them, he just they just had the different one turned to him. Yeah, do you see? So they weren't different. It was just perspective. It was just the angle that they were being seen by John. It was it was the way John saw them made them look different. And we could say something similar for these seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls. It may be just a difference in the way you're looking at them or John is looking at them and telling us about them. But I think it's, a, it's an easier way to understand these seven events, to think of them as not 21, but only seven, but seen from different perspectives and different angles. Uh, 
just, just to sort of help you think along this, uh, have a look how each of the set ends. So there's Revelation 8, verse 5. Uh, Revelation 8, verse 5. Uh, thank you, gentlemen of Song, for doing all the printing up and the show and the slides. Thank you. Much appreciated. So uh, Revelation 8, verse 5 says, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So the, the seven finish up with thunder and lightning and earthquake, the seven seals, okay? Have a look at Revelation eleven nineteen, as the seven trumpets are finishing. How do they finish? Uh, then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Very similar, eh? And then the seven bowls finish with Revelation 16 and verse uh, 17. Uh, then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Sorry, verse 18 as well. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. So can you see the, the finishing, the events that happen after each of the seven? It's the same. It's the same event. <laughs> okay. So I think it's not unreasonable to uh, not, not have to sort of, okay, here's number one, there's 20 to go. Uh, think of these terrible things as seven terrible things, uh, all seen from different perspectives. Seals, trumpets, bowls. They're just the same seven looked at from different perspectives. Oh, that's very nice. Okay, so what? Okay. <laughs> that doesn't really help us. As you read these things, go home and read these 21 events, it's really tough to process. It's really hard to read. It's, it's, it's hard to square this with, with, uh, gent with a gentle Jesus, meek and mild, <laughs> uh, and God coming to the world to save it, not to condemn it. And, and I began to think, we, ne we need some extra help to help us cope and understand what God is doing these things. And, and the, the thing that helps us is the ten plagues of Egypt. Remember when God was removing his people, getting them out of slavery in Egypt, uh, Pharaoh refused to let them go, uh, and so the, God sent the ten plagues in order to weaken Pharaoh's resolve and to enable his people uh, to leave. And, and these 21 events have lots of similarities with the ten plagues of Egypt. So, yes, they are terrible things. They are awful things. Um, the, the seals and the trumpets are happening to different parts of the earth. This one and, and that part and this part. When you read the bowls, it's the whole earth that's being hit by all these things. Okay? So, uh, a worldwide suffering and terrible things going on. But we have to say to ourselves, this is still our God who is in control. Okay? So that little heading there, plagues, purpose, and, and plan. We, we want to be reassured that these 21 things are, are not just chaos. It's not just chaos happening, okay? God is in control. Just as he was in control with the 10 plagues of Egypt, with a purpose to set his people free, these 21 terrible events are part of God's planning and purpose. So what's the purpose? Let's have a look at Revelations chapter 9. What's the purpose behind these 21 events? Revelation chapter 9, uh, verses 20 
and 21. This is, this is how the people react to the, this, the trumpets. That's right. Uh, the rest of mankind were not, uh, that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Neither did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. That's the purpose. God is drawing history to a close. Uh, yes, he sent his son to save, but people don't want it. They don't want that message. And, and history is winding up. Woohoo is coming, okay? And, and God is about to close the curtain on this world, this universe, and, and he's got to do something to get people's notice, to get them to wake up, okay? Um, if, if you go out of your house and go out for dinner and, and you come back home and your house is on fire and your kids are in the house, you don't just say, ah, oh, shame, you know, the, the fire will, well, we're insured, so that's fine. You, you go into the house and you, you get your kids, you know, and they're sleeping, they're sleeping in the fire and the fire is raging. Oh, kids are sleeping, I'll leave them, I'll let them sleep. You know, little dears. Okay, well, we can make some more. But, you know, that's not what you say. You wake the children up so that they can get out of the house and, and are not killed in the fire. This, these 21 events is God waking us up, wake, trying to wake up the world to come back to him before he shuts down history. Do you get the idea? There's been, there's been years since the cross. It's 2021, 20, isn't it? Yeah, we're a long many years after the cross, and we look at the world, people are still not wanting it. And we are now getting to the, the final end of all things, and the fire is burning the house down, and, and the world is asleep. And God is going to have to do something to try and wake us up. But look, even when he's shouting at them to wake them up, they are not. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? God is shouting at his world through these terrible things, and they still do not want to listen. Astonishing. That's, that's the purpose behind these terrible things. So have that in the back of your mind as you read the bowls and the trumpets and the seals. God is, you know, the, the, the world is on fire and we're asleep, and he's wanting to wake us up. That's the purpose. Have a look at the plan. Come back a little bit. 9 verse 15. <clears throat> just to see how God is planning of all this, just to see the control. Revelation 9, 15. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Whew. Okay. This is why I bet this is hard stuff. It's not easy to read. Okay. It's not easy to read. But we've seen the purpose. The purpose is to get us, God is trying to wake us up before the end comes. Okay. Can you see the plan in this verse 15? The four angels who've been kept ready by God for this very hour and day and month and year. These, these terrible events are, have been carefully planned by God down to the hour and day. Can you see the control that's there? This isn't chaos. These are terrible things, but it's not chaos. This is divine rule and authority and purpose and plan, down to the last second, we could almost say. Do you get the idea? This is not chaos. This is carefully controlled. 
Yeah, like if I beat my kids. I'd, I'd try not to... <laughs> I never beat my kids. <laughs> my nose gets longer. But you, if you're going to discipline your kids <laughs> and, your, and your voice no longer has the effect and you have to do something else, you, you, you can't do it in the heat of your anger. You have to go away and sit down and have a cold shower. Then you can discipline them. Do you see? It's, it's terrible to do things at the height of your anger. Remember Jesus clearing the temple? Have you ever seen one? I think it's Matthew's account where he sees all this stuff going on in the temple and he's angry. This is his father's house. He goes away. It says he goes away and he made a whip. He was looking around for a whip. Where's the whip? Oh, there isn't one. I will sit down and I will make one. And while he's making one, all the stuff is still going, all the trading and money changing and buying and selling is still going on. But he's making the whip. And, and then when it's made, then he goes and beats. But, but can you see the control? God, God is, Jesus was not out of control. He was, he was going to clear the temple, but he was going to calm down and first make a whip to, to make it happen. He, he wasn't going to drive them out in, the, in, the, in that instant moment of his wrath. But, but he, he calmed down while he made the whip to do it. I, astonishing. Okay. So, so these 21 things are not being done out of God's righteous anger and he's just you know, smashing the crockery. It's, it's, he has a purpose and he has a plan and it's, going to be, and it's planned down to the last second. Does that, does that encourage you a little bit? When you read it, it's, it's really tough reading. But, but remember God's purpose in all of this? He's trying to wake up his world and remember the plan. Okay, it's not chaos. The other clue is the number of these things. How many seals? Seven. How many trumpets? Seven. How many bowls? Seven. Seven is God's number. So these are terrible things. These seals, trumpets, and bowls are terrible things, but there's seven of them. They are God's. They are God's purpose and plan, and it's not chaos. That's really important. Okay? It's very easy to read these 21 things and think, chaos is coming, but it's not chaos. God's purpose is there. God's plan is there. Just to finish up, let's have a look at Revelation 16, verse 9, just to sum this up. Uh, Revelation 16, verse 9. Uh, This is after the uh, fourth bowl, actually. Um, People were scorched with fire. Yes. Uh, They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues but they refused to repent and glorify him. That's, that's got everything there. That's the purpose. God wants the world to repent, and he wants the world to come back to him and glorify him. That's the purpose. And there's the plan, and there's the control. God who had control over these plagues. Whatever is happening, God is in control, and he still has control. As an example, JP and, and Rico and myself, we, we quite like the blues and, and you know, we, we sort of share music and stuff like this and mm, it's good stuff. And, and the blues could be, well, it could be quite loud at times. It depends where you put the volume. Uh, but it, it could be spectacular. It can be mind-blowing. It can be incredible watching people play the blues. And, and you're, you're blown away and, and this is incredible. But if you ask the other two, if you ask me about... What's, what's the most impressive thing about these musicians when they're full on and then they're in the middle of this fantastic blues riff and, and, ly- and lyrics and everything else? 
it's the control. There's all this amazing music and sound going on, but these guys are in control. And I love that. You, you could just, you could enjoy and be blown away by this amazing music, but then you see the guys playing and it's, they are totally under control. They, they haven't lost control. <laughs> they, are, they are in control while all this amazing stuff is going on. And so think of God as being a great blues player, okay? There's all this stuff, mind-blowing stuff going on, but God is in control. And, and we needn't read these things and, and think that chaos is coming. These, these things are coming, but God is in control. Happy with that? Happy with that. Be, so please, go and read. Um, it's, it won't be an easy read, but bear in mind God's plan and God's purpose and, and God's control as you read. So those, are the, those chapters uh, are the, the chapters we're covering. But in this series, we're looking at chapters, but we're also looking at different topics as well, the controversial topics uh, that we see in, in Revelation. So the first topic is uh, God's seal. This is important uh, because next week we'll be looking at the seal of Satan um, and uh, all the controversy are there. But come to Revelation 7, verses 1 to 3. This is the uh, interlude uh, that's on your, f on your chart, uh, the interlude between the sixth trumpet and the seventh, uh, the interlude of the 144,000. Uh, and we'll just read 1 to 3 of chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Okay? So uh, the, the four angels are, are about to unleash the seventh trumpet uh, and all that will come. And, and this angel says, wait, we, we need to seal uh, God's people. And again, it's not a literal seal. I don't see anybody wearing seals this morning. Fish, maybe, but not seals. Um, <laughs> It's, it's a metaphorical seal. It's a spiritual seal. Um, so it's first mentioned, as we said last week, a lot of the things in Revelation are from, from the Old Testament. So let's have a look at Ezekiel chapter 9. Uh, this is where we first get the idea of uh, God's people being sealed. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4. This is the, the, the glory departing from the temple, actually. Uh, so it's a sad occasion. <clears throat> Uh, but Ezekiel 9 verse 4 uh, says uh, this. Uh, this was uh, the, the cherubim, actually, the same cherubim that we have in uh, Ezekiel and Revelation. Um, da, da, da. The, Lord, uh, the Lord called and, and uh, said, uh, go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it, done in Jerusalem. So, uh, this is God's holy city, God's Zion, the, the place of his dwelling on earth. He's about to leave, actually. Why? Because his people are no longer serving him and worshipping him. They are doing detestable things. They are worshipping other gods. Okay? So God says, enough is enough. If you're, if you're going to worship other gods in the city which I have named for my place on earth, I'm out of here. Okay? And God is about to leave. 
but there were some people, there was a remnant. There were a few people left in Jerusalem who looked at what was being done and the false worship, and they grieved and they lamented. And God said, those are my people. They are, sad. They are not happy about what's happening. They are sad. And, and, and their sadness marks them out as my people. So seal them. Put a seal on their heads so that they may be shown to be mine. Okay? Um, the actual seal is, was the, the Hebrew letter Tor. If you look at Psalm 119, it's all made up of the Hebrew uh, letters of the alphabet. And, and Tor is actually the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. That's the Greek alphabet. The, the seal in Ezekiel was the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, we don't know exactly what the last letter well, sorry, what the seal will be in uh, Revelation 7. Uh, will it be Tor or not? I'm not sure. But it's interesting that it's, it's the last letter. It's the end times, isn't it? Okay. The sealing is happening at the, at the end times. So what is this seal? Uh, in the Old Testament, it was the Hebrew letter Tor. Uh, we don't have that. Uh, let's have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, verses 21 and 22, uh, Paul writes, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Woohoo is guaranteed. Isn't that great, Nana? There you go. You want to woohoo, but the, the, it's guaranteed. The, the Holy Spirit in our hearts now is the guarantee of heaven. Okay? And, and that is the seal of God, this, this Holy Spirit in our hearts, guaranteeing heaven, is this seal. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14, Paul writes, You were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Couldn't be clearer than that who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And if you needed more proof, have a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Uh, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, for the day of, of judgment. Okay, God, God, is, God marks his people with the seal of the Holy Spirit. Okay, it is the Holy Spirit who distinguishes Christians and non-Christians. What's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? You know, and you can make a long list. But th- this, is the main di- this is the main difference. A Christian is someone who has God, the Holy Spirit, living inside them. That's a Christian. <laughs> you could call yourself a Christian. Many Namibians do. 90% of Namibians call themselves Christians. But how many actually have the Holy Spirit living in them? Mm, that's the question. Jesus said, unless you are born again, born from above, same Greek word, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's the seal of God. We, are, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the seal, and the seal, in a sense, protects us. We are, we are protected, God's people are protected in the midst of all these 21 terrible things, okay? Uh, and the seal is, is, the, is the mark of, of protection. So, of course, it's an easy jump to the 144,000. Let's continue uh, with verses 4, and we won't read all the other tribes, but verse 4 says, Revelation 7, verse 4 to 8, then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from the tribes of Israel. 
And then you can see from each of the 12 tribes, there were 12,000. Okay? Um, and 12 times 12,000 gives us 144,000. That's, that's where the number comes from. But remember, Revelation is apocalyptic literature. It's, it's figurative, not literal. Uh, and so if you take this 144,000 literally, you are committing a gross error. <laughs> Thank you. See what I did there? Um, it's not a literal number. Now, plenty of cults and sects do take it literally. So if you're a Mormon or a JW, this number is very important. If you're in the plain truth, like my cousins in Australia, hello cousins in Australia, uh, <laughs> 144,000 is a very important number, okay? Uh, one, one family member came to me, he showed me his certificate with, I, I forget what number it was, but it was below 144,000. He, he did his theology at, at one of these plain truth schools. He got a certificate and it had the number. He gave his number and he was under 144,000. So he was woohooing. He was really happy because he, he, it'd be really sad if you got your stamp, but he said 144,001. Sorry. Oh, man. So close. I was so close. I know most about the JWs. The JWs believe, the Jehovah's Witness believe in 144,000 because that's, that's the number of, it's a bit like COVID, that's the number of people, the JWs, who can get into the heavenly city, Jerusalem, okay? All JWs will get to heaven, okay? But only 144,000 will get in the gate into the new, into the new city, okay? So Donna, what number are you? Are you all right? Okay, 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 okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> do, do you get the idea? And, and so, you know, we say, you know, we say about the JWs, we let them make us feel guilty. If only we Christians could evangelize as energetically as the JWs, you know? But could you see why they are energetic in their evangelism? Because they want to get in. They want to be one of the 144,000. Their evangelism is not motivated by love for you. Their evangelism is motivated by their, their longing to get into the heavenly city. Okay? 144,000 only. Roll up. Get evangelizing. Get in. Okay? So, uh, yeah. I think we do something wrong when we take this literally. It's mm. Another reason for knowing that it's not to be taken literally is, is this is a fantasy number. Okay? Here are the 12 tribes of Israel. I said there were 13, but don't worry. We've got 12 here. That's fine. Here are the 12 tribes, but 10 of them have gone. 10 of them no longer exist. It cannot be literally 12,000 from Reuben and 12,000 from Gad and 12,000 from Gad and Asher and Naphtali and Manasseh. They've gone. Those people no longer exist on earth. The 10 lost tribes were truly lost. Okay. Uh, after Solomon's death, the kingdom split. Israel to the north, and the ten tribes went to the north, capital of Samaria, and, and the three tribes, Judah, Benjamin, Levi, they stayed south. See, three plus ten is? Thank you. So the, the, the Assyrians came along and conquered the northern nation. Okay? They conquered Samaria. Uh, they conquered Israel, not Judah. Okay, so the, and, and the policy of the Assyrians then was, when they take a new territory, is to remove everybody, take everybody out, split them all up, make them count one to a million, and then send them all to different countries. 
send them out into the Assyrian Empire and split them up and separate them out so that they can never come together and reclaim their land. Very clever, actually. So, of course, now there's lots of free land in Israel. Samaria is an empty capital and there's all this free land. So you can go along to the Nineveh Assyrian newspaper and, you know, free land in Israel. Who wants to go? And, of course, all the Assyrians would then move over to Samaria and Israel and would, would take the, occupy the empty land. So can you imagine why? You, can, you now know why the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans are the, the pagans. They're the non-Jews put in to the northern kingdom by the Assyrians about 700 years before Jesus. They've been there for 700 years. Okay? They're not Jews. They're, they're, they're pagans from Assyria. Okay? They've picked up some of the Jewish ideas. But, but they, in a sense, they're, came, they're, they're the... You know when God gave the promised land to his people, he drove out the Canaanites, and, and God's people possessed everything. And, and now when the Jews of Jerusalem look at the Israel, they just see the promised land occupied by foreigners. Yeah, Samaritans. And they couldn't say Samaritan without spitting as well. Um, if, if, if a Jew went from Jerusalem and up to Galilee, okay, the straight route north is through Samaria. They wouldn't walk through Samaria. They would go west across the Jordan, north, and then back into then back east, back west. Sorry, east, north, and then back west into Galilee, so that they would not soil their feet by standing on Samaritan territory. That's how much they hated Samaria and the Samaritans. And so, when Jesus talked about the good Samaritan, what? What do you mean? The only good Samaritan is a dead Samaritan. You know, there's no such thing. And, and you could sense this hatred, okay? You can sense this hatred because the Samaritans are the pagans who are living in the promised land that God gave us, okay? So the ten tribes have gone. They are, they are no longer there. These people in, the, in this list <laughs> cannot, cannot literally be the, the 12,000 people of Reuben or Gad or Asher. They're, they're representing something. They're standing for something else, Okay? It's actually a fulfillment, uh, we don't have this here, it's a fulfillment of Jeremiah chapters 30, 31, and 32. Go and have a look at that when you've got time. Jeremiah 30 to 32. Uh, God gives a prophecy to Jeremiah about how Israel will be saved. Not Judah, well, Judah as well, but Judah and Israel. And this is, this is amazing because Jeremiah is living 150 years after Israel has gone. Okay? <laughs> And God is telling Jeremiah that Israel will be restored. And Jeremiah is scratching and said, but Lord, they're gone <laughs> 150 years ago. They went. What do you mean? How, how can you restore the people who no longer exist? Well, this is how. Revelation 7. Revelation 7 is the fulfillment of Jeremiah's chapter 30, 31, and 32. This is how God will restore Israel. Okay? This way. So what's the meaning? <laughs> Some numbers here. Some Jewish numbers. Twelve, we've already seen this morning. Twelve is the number of God's people. If you want to talk about God's people altogether, you just say twelve. Okay? Old Testament, the twelve tribes of Israel, even though there were thirteen. And then in the New Testament, uh, you, we had these uh, twelve disciples, the twelve apostles, and, and the worship around the throne, the twenty-four elders. Re the twelve representing the Old Testament people of God, uh, and the, the, uh, the twelve representing the church, the New Testament people of God. So, so 12 is the number of God's people. 
And if you, 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 you then put in a thousand, what are you saying? What's, to a Jew, 1,000 doesn't mean 1,000. 1,000 means eternity, okay? Or at least infinity. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a way of conceptualizing the unconceptualizable. You, it's a way of imagining the unimaginable, okay? You just say 1,000, okay? So 12 times 12 is just purifying. It's just making it extra 12-y, okay? So 12,000 people of each tribe of 12 gives us, uh, gives us 144,000. So the 144,000 represent all of God's people, okay? That's, that's what it means. The, the number who are sealed were all of God's people. Not one is left out. God knows them that he knows who are his, he seals each one, and there is not one missing. Isn't that great? Dana, are you another, another woohoo from Dana? Because there, there will not be anyone missing from heaven who should be there. That's what 144,000 is telling us. Do you get that? No mistakes. There'll be, there'll be nobody left out of heaven who should be there. God, God won't overlook even one. That's what the 144,000 means. It's a nice round number to show us that nobody's going to be missing. All, all the people who God wants to be there will be there. No, no mistakes. No mistakes. Is that, is that okay? 144,000 represents all of God's people, and it tells us that no one will be missing. Everyone who should be in heaven will be there. How do we, how do we reinforce this? Look at, look at the very next verse. And this is the verse that the JWs and the Mormons forget to look at. Okay? The verse 9 of chapter 7. After this, John says, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Yeah, I can count up to 144,000, you know, on a good day. So, but this is a number beyond counting. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. So, on the one hand, we have 144,000. On the very next verse, we have a crowd so big we can't number them. Yeah? So the, un, the unnumberable... Is that the right word? Is that a word? <laughs> the unnumberable cloud is the same group of people as the 144,000. They're the same. Okay? Okay? The crowd without number is the same crowd as the 144,000 crowd. It's just a different way of looking at, at them. Do you get it? That's all it is. So uh, don't worry that you'll be 144,001 and you're not getting in. That's not what it means. Okay. Okay, conclusion. Let's come all the way back. Like uh, Inigo Montoya, we go back to the beginning and Revelation chapter 5, uh, and we'll look at verses 6 to 14. Okay? Just, just to close. It's... it's Having, having going through all this trauma and difficult stuff, it's good to finish with something wonderful. So if we looked at Revelation 5 at the beginning and we saw how the Lamb was the only one who was able to, uh, open the, to break the seals and open the, open the scroll. Uh, so let's come back to uh, verse 6 and we'll read the rest of the chapter. Then I saw a Lamb, said John, uh, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, the same ones from last week. Uh, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits that God has sent out into all the earth. 
He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That's, that's incredible. Do you feel your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling when you pray? They weren't bouncing off the ceiling. They were, they were going up to heaven and they're being kept in bowls of incense in heaven. That's where your prayers go. Isn't that amazing? So they may feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling, but this is where they end up. Wow. Each of them were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Oh, good. Uh, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God and women. The Greek word is gender neutral. Anthropos, not anair. Okay, men and women for God. Uh, from every tribe and language and people and nation. We've seen that. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. Here's the thousand again. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a, excuse me, in a loud voice, they sang. So this innumerable amount of angels. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, so even more, the angels. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. What a fantastic picture of worship. This is why God wants to wake up the world because he wants the world to be part of this. He doesn't want anyone to be lost from this. <laughs> this is God's plans for his world. And if they're not listening to him, he's going to try and wake them up because he wants them to come into this. You get the idea? It's wonderful. It's, it's why we have these 21 terrible things because, because this is what God wants for them. But in conclusion, remember last week, we, we spoke of Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega, the, the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last. Okay? Jesus is the Alpha. He's the beginning. He's the creator. He's, he's the one who starts everything off. John chapter 1 says that nothing was made without him that has been made. If you can see something, Jesus made it. Basically, that's what John is telling us. Okay? Jesus made that. Jesus made that. Jesus made that. Yeah? Everything that we can see, Jesus has made, including everything that we can't see, <laughs> Jesus has made. He's the Alpha. He's the source. He's the creator. But he's not just the Alpha, he's the Omega. He's, he's the Lord of the end times. He's the judge on Judgment Day. When, when God closes down this universe, this heaven and this earth, and judgment happens, Jesus is the Omega. He, he's the man appointed to be the judge on the Judgment Day. He's the end. Everything comes from him, arcs through history, and everything comes back to him. And he finishes it off. He, he kicks it off, he starts it, and he finishes it. Yeah? The Alpha and the Omega. But Revelation 5 tells us something else. With your blood, you purchased people for God. Every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. 
In between the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus has done something else. He was born of Mary, lived, grew amongst us, and at the end of 33 years, he went to that cross and purchased people for God with his blood. And he did, in a sense, he did that in the middle. Alpha, Omega, and center. That's, that's who Jesus is. The, the creator is the judge, is the savior. It's the same guy. It's incredible. What a, what a picture of Christ that we have. It's absolutely amazing. Do you, do you wake up at three in the morning and wonder if you really are saved, if I really am going to heaven? Will I be there yahooing, yahooing, woohooing with Dana? You know, will, maybe God will forget me. Well, that's 144,000. God won't forget you. But, but, but is my salvation secure? Can, can, is my salvation reliable? Can I trust the salvation that, that, that God has, has given to me? Well, you can, even at three o'clock in the morning, because the Savior is the creator. Yes? And, and, your, and your Savior is the judge. You know, when I, get to, when I appear before the judge on the last day, will, will the judge, will he not change his mind and, and, and send me the other way on the day of judgment? Will I not get in at the last minute? You know? No, the judge is the Savior. The one who judges you is the one who saved you. And at the power of his salvation reflects the power of his creation. He made everything from nothing. Alpha, creator, Omega, the judge, and in the middle, at the center, he's the savior, the one who went to the cross and bought you and me with his blood. It's the same, it's the same guy. Isn't, isn't our universe in good, good hands? We, we read about all these chaotic things. <laughs> but the universe is in the hands of Jesus. The alpha, the creator, the omega, the finisher, and at, at the center, the savior, creator, judge and savior. It's Jesus. It's the same guy. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you that uh, we can get such a wonderful picture of who you are this morning. We praise you because you are the alpha, you are the creator. We praise you because you are the omega and the one appointed as the judge for the day of judgment. You are the one who will close down the universe that you made from nothing. And Lord Jesus, you also stand at the center of time. You are the one yourself, who went to the cross uh, and whose uh, blood was shed uh, and whose blood was shed to, to purchase us for, for, for God. And Lord, thank you that our salvation is so secure because our Savior is our creator and our judge. Lord Jesus, help us to praise you more as we should praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Rico Vecca. And I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today. And it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.